Hello friends, we wanted to jump on here right away at the beginning to let you know that we recorded this episode a few weeks in advance of the pandemic hitting. So we will not be bringing up coronavirus or COVID-19 until the very end with a special discount code. However, now more than ever before, it is so important for us to stay mentally and physically strong. Things are changing every single day and as women, we need to be taking care of ourselves. So the information that Crystal Howell brings up in today's interview, as well as the entire Expecting and Empowered team brings up daily, is so pertinent, is so important in every single season. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. We are so excited for our interview today. Crystal Howald, who is my sister, she is also a woman's health physical therapist and she owns two businesses. Empowered Movement Physical Therapy in Oconomowoc, and then she's my co-founder of Expecting and Empowered. We asked her to be on. We were so excited, and I think she was a little obligated to say yes since we are sisters. But Crystal, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what makes you, you? Well, yeah, it's about time you guys had me on. (laughs) You guys had your husbands on. It's called Herself Podcast. Um, But Amy and I grew up in a dynamic family of six. And from a very early age, I knew that I wanted to be a PT. We watched our brother, Jesse, who had a car accident rehab from a spinal cord injury. He went from being in a wheelchair to walking again. And I was like, aha, this is like what I want to do for life. I had no intention or like premonition that I'd be so into vaginas though (laughs) (laughs) like literally like the the women women's health the whole body vaginas orthopedic and I have not looked back I have loved every second of being a PT and in my last year of PT school I took this elective and I was just astounded by the information that people aren't getting so we're so passionate about bringing women knowledge and information to make informed decisions of their health. I am married to my husband, Tom, and we have three little ones, Brooke, who is four, Avery, who's two and a half, and Camden, who I cannot believe, but he's 18 months now. That is hard to believe. Oh, they go go so fast. So in hit, I mean, Brooke has like the most amazing like pottery barn nursery. And then Avery's (laughs) is like kind of okay. I mean, I got it from Hobby Lobby and stuff. And then Camden was like just basically shoved into a room. So I, with a crib in it. And so I've watched him grow like literally on my body because that room has a mirror and it's like insane because last night I was putting him down I was like he is freaking huge he's yeah. like literally half my body it's insane Crystal every time you and Amy talk about how close your kids are together I'm like wow you guys literally have kids just right after another One on top of another <laughs> I tell my patients I'm like a dog in the kennel but hopefully I'm out of the kennel it's not like Kentucky anymore <laughs> Wait, are you putting your kids in the kennel? Hold on, I'm confused here. Like literally just breeding these kids over and over. My body's felt it too. Oh my gosh. So as a person who is pregnant with her third baby, not nearly as close as you ladies do it, but 
still closer than the average person does, I can say I've learned so much from you. Just every single thing that you bring up either on your Instagram account or just talking with you, thank you for bringing that information into the world. But I also cringe when I think back to what I did with my first pregnancy. So this is before I knew either of you, before I used the Expecting and Empowered Guides, and I just really screwed up. Like, put it that way, screwed up in so many ways. Like, let's take a second. So you, I remember you did Monkey Gym, Monkey right. bar gym. Mm-hmm. So more jumping, more silly. running. <laughs> it is. It's the urban jungle. I kind of no, like that tagline. And it wasn't the monkey bar gym's fault. It was me no, no. doing the things that I thought I could still do. Overzealous athlete. Uh, that that was exactly me. And my OB kept on saying, listen to your body. Like Do things that your body feels good with. And I didn't know what that meant in pregnancy. I was slowing down. I didn't do marathons while pregnant. I did a half marathon when I was like 17 or 18 weeks pregnant, but didn't do the full thing. I know you guys are cringing right now thinking about it, but that was my reality is that I did slow down, but slowing down didn't mean a whole lot. And I know a whole lot of women do this exact same thing. And then they develop, like I did, organ prolapse. So I'm really, really open about my vaginal problems (laughs) on Instagram, something that not many people talk about. I just know that once we do start talking about it, more women will come to the forefront saying that they also had those issues. But it's because of you that I even know that I had those types of problems. So what is vaginal organ prolapse? Crystal, you'll be a lot better to just kind of go through everything that that meant. Yeah, so prolapse can be three different kinds. You can have a combination of the three, but that's when your pelvic organs are falling into the vaginal cavity where they can even to the point come out. I will never forget I was like a fresh a fresh PT and this woman brings in a mirror to my clinic and she's like my doctor will not listen to me, but I have a penis. And I'm like, all right, let's check this out. Like, because <laughs> you don't want to downplay what people are telling you. But what she was showing me was pelvic organ prolapse. When she was standing, her organs were coming out of her body. Oh, my gosh. Um, so a grade one, grade two, grade three. Grade three goes to, like, the point where they're almost coming out but not fully coming out. Um, but there's a lot of things that you can do to prevent that from happening and then also to rehab it. Like, once you have it, sometimes, quote, unquote, maybe you can never – fix it. But the problem is with so many other conditions besides pelvic organ prolapse is women are just not getting any information to make health informed, educated decisions. And then we're like left to pick up these pieces, literally picking up pieces. You're trying to get your parts back into that vaginal canal. And so instead of that, like I think one of the reasons Amy and I are so passionate about expecting and empowered is we're literally giving people like a prehab tool. So just like you would see in the NFL, like uh, Aaron Rodgers, he does certain exercises so that he can keep his shoulder and his trunk healthy so he can throw those touchdown passes against (laughs) the Vikings. Um, (laughs) We just lost a whole bunch of people there. (laughs) Like, what? They're Packer fans. We love you all, but um, hopefully we're a little bit more on top of our game this year. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, basically what you want to be doing, though, is like prepping your body for this pivotal time. There is no other time in life that you will have so much physical implication on your body. And just listening to your body is not enough. So I, like you, I literally have... 
hours and hours of like training on women's health. And I, my first, like as an athlete, I was petrified of gaining weight. I did not want to gain weight. I did not like seeing my body changed, even though I knew I was growing this like beautiful, healthy human inside me. And I knew that was like part of the gig, but I hated it. So then I wanted to like try to keep the weight off as much as possible. I wanted to be the bump only pregnancy. And so you get people like Abby or I that are maybe like these overzealous athletes where we've learned over time to ignore our body because ignoring our body means like an extra level on the performance mm-hmm, scale, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of listening to our body and our body saying, this is uncomfortable. So for me, that showed up as um, pubic synthesis dysfunction. And I had envisioned... Wait, wait, wait. What does that look like? So pubic synthesis dysfunction is a bone in the front of your pelvis. There's three bones in our pelvis, and it's where the two pubic rami meet. And then when we are pregnant, very early on in pregnancy, our hormones change because our body is getting more lax because it's prepping for this huge event that's going to come called labor and delivery. And so it's making everything looser so that you can fit a baby through your pelvic cavity. But if you go into like pregnancy with ailments and stuff, it can also set you up for pubic bone pain, SI pain. But what happens is there's like a strong pain in the front of your pelvis. It can be like like excruciating. It can be like a slow, dull ache. It stops you in your step. So putting your pants on, one foot hurts. Um, like putting a leg up and over something. So like getting into a car, getting into a tub. These are things that like stop you dead in your tracks with pubic synthesis pain. So for me, I wanted to keep running until I was like 40 weeks. I wanted to be like that cool runner because that's that was like part of my identity. And then I was found myself at like 19 weeks, literally crawling to the couch from the shower. And my husband's like, yo, how long <laughs> are you going to do this for? This literally doesn't look good. It doesn't make sense. So like my body was telling me something and I was like, in a couple hours, it goes away. It's cool. I'll just sit on the couch for a couple hours and this, this will be gone. But I like knew the damage I was doing to my body and I couldn't even like stop myself. Uh, and yeah, that SPD. So pubic, say it again, pubic. pubic synthesis dysfunction. Okay. Yeah. I had that too. And that's like even just shut out of my mind because of all the issues with the prolapse. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, yep. That's another issue that can pop check, up. Check, check. Uh, so like literally in my head, I thought I had like a crazy, healthy, like amazing pregnancy in my first pregnancy. Me too. Me too. Until all those issues happened afterwards. So for me, organ prolapse, and you kind of went into some of these right now, but organ prolapse, what are some other symptoms that can come up? Because for me, I had issues with like I had urgency to go number two. I would like pee my pants while running. It was painful to have sex with my husband even after we got cleared. Are there any other issues that can pop up that people might be having? Mainly women will complain about a heaviness, Mm. like a vaginal Mm. fatigue, like their vagina is just not holding up to the task that they have to do during the day, which feels like heavy. Like you're, and it can even feel like you're sitting on like a golf ball or you're sitting on something. Um, that's usually what like the most common complaint is in women or with prolapse. I just had a patient poop in my hand the other day, but she was complaining of like fecal incontinence. You know, she was like leaking a little bit of stool. Um, and it was only when she squatted. So I was like, okay, like, let's see what your squat looks like naked. And then I was like, oh, I might catch that before it falls on my floor. (laughs) (laughs) So this is like something that is so 
I mean, for women, it's embarrassing, right? right? So we just don't talk about these things, but there's so many things that we can do. And like, I looked at that because that's her main complaint, right? So like, I have to be able to see it happen, see what's going on to like, be able to figure it out for her. Yeah. And I will say too, that's what our expecting and empowered DMs look like, mm-hmm. you guys, is that they are like, I haven't told anyone about this. This is so embarrassing. You know, what can I do to help this? And we're here for that. But just to say it isn't, if you're suffering from having fecal incontinence, urinating yourself, having painful sex, like you are not alone. It's just the fact that people don't talk about this. I wanted to go back to your pubic symphysis dysfunction, Crystal, because one really common, common misconception is that women that have it, they think that exercise is going to make it worse. Can you speak to that? Yeah, so with my first, I obviously had it and had it bad. With my second was when we were testing the guide. So we started testing the pregnancy guide when I was 15 weeks pregnant with my second. It went away at week 20. Working out is probably the best thing you can do, but being intentional about what you do. But that goes for so many other conditions, not just pubic synthesis. So mm-hmm. basically, the way that the guides are written to you is that they're prehabbing things, right? So, what Amy and I do is we go through and list out okay, what does a postpartum runner look like? What are the problems? Like, we're t- we'll take studies that show us the exact problems that a woman will have in returning to running. Okay, so how can we prevent those from happening? Then we'll take somebody that has prolapse. What are the best things? Now, then you have to like think about if you have bladder prolapse or um, like the uterine prolapse or rectal prolapse. And then we pump those into the guide. I mean, there's so many different things, but we're taking all of these little bits and pieces. And then you, it's like basically putting, you know, you guys make spinach pancakes. Mm-hmm. We sure <laughs> do. Sundays, right? That's the only food I know how to make. So. so, But you're also tricking your kids, right? So we're literally <laughs> just tricking these athletes into doing prehab. They don't even know. They're like, dude, I'm getting a bomb workout. And I'm like, actually, really what you're doing is you're rehabbing all this stuff and preventing it from happening. And then on the postpartum side, you're flipping it and like helping your body recover. But they just, they don't know. Okay, I have a weird question, but it just came to me. I'm going to ask it. So when you are diagnosing prolapse or you see a woman and she's coming in and she's fairly certain she has prolapse from her symptoms, is that which you know what organ is coming through or can you literally see someone's like bladder coming into their vagina like do you use a speculum no so I mean I use my finger and then visually too you can see the organ I can feel the organ on my finger. So what yeah. I'll do is I'll look from the outside. I'll have a patient do what they think of as a Kegel. And then I'll also have them like bulge down. So I tell them to cough because that's the easiest way. Yeah. And so a lot of pelvic organ prolapse is hidden because you're laying down so that erectocele or the rectum will pop back into place where it should be because you're laying on your back and gravity helps it stay there. And then so that's where that woman brought that mirror in or my patient's like, hey, I only feel this when I squat because when we're standing, then gravity is pulling everything down, right? Our right. face, that's why I got Botox the other day. Our boobs, <laughs> our, our pelvic organs. So, so then looking at them in different positions is key to discovering pelvic organ prolapse 
relapse. And this is sometimes too why, like in an OB clinic, it's getting, you're coming in with symptoms and you're actually not sometimes getting assessed appropriately or you ha- you don't have it from the get-go, right? So like at your six-week appointment, you get checked and then you're 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 given the green light to go and then so you start doing more intense things um exercise intercourse all these different things and then all of a sudden you start to feel these things like a year down the road and you're like what is going on and it is pelvic organ prolapse sometimes but then there's never like any rechecks right so you don't even know what exactly is going on there is a stat that says 50% of women will have pelvic organ prolapse in their life 50% 50% that number should be decreased. It's insane to me. So 50% and that 11% of women will undergo surgery. That's oh, that's more than one out of 10. That's mm-hmm. You know what crazy. is so interesting is that for me, after every postpartum period, I've taken it slower and slower, <laughs> not because I've had issues or symptoms, but because the more you know, I'm yeah. like, Amy, you can wait a year to run you know, intensely, like I don't need to be sprinting up hills right now because I am breastfeeding. And that makes me concerned that my body is still a little more loosey goosey in terms of my joints than it will be when I'm done with this journey. Yeah. And I've definitely taken it way slower, but I, after Camden, like probably like a year. So that's a long time to wait, right? To like really get back into running. I like opened up a DR, which diastasis recti is more common in women that have a C-section. So I've had three. um, And so I'm thinking like, dude, I've like crazy beat the odds here. Like I've had multiple kids in a short amount of time. I've had C-sections. I have no DR. I'm like, by the guide, swipe up. (laughs) (laughs) But then I started running, right? So I started loading the system more and then opened like a little bit of a DR, which is crazy, right? So I've done especially like everything right to a T, but then reintroducing these new things, even a year out, I'm having to like slow myself down, take some steps back and then reassessing the situation. And here's the thing, Crystal, you know to reassess the situation because you have the background and information. Most of us don't. Like I'm still learning information right here in this conversation. And I feel like I've talked with you for two years on this topic. And because I am so open, I was bringing up this conversation to my friends. So Amy, you said before, you're like, oh, people don't talk about this. I think Mm -hmm. I was like the one in a hundred that actually talked about it. Imagine that. (laughs) Because I'm like, wait, can we fix this? Can I change this? And every time my friends, my other mama friends would say, Abby, that's what happens when you're pregnant. No, that's what happens after you had a baby. So I'm like, oh, this is normal. Like right. you should be peeing your pants. You should feel this discomfort. And there's like mom hacks. I'll never forget when my friend is like, all my friends are telling me to just put a tampon in when I run because it'll catch my pee and then I can still run. Crystal, can you speak to us about these mom hacks? First of all, that mom hack really wouldn't work. It would help hold your organs up while you ran. But I mean, basically essentially we need to start instead of normalizing the problems offering people solutions right so we need to like slow down because this is like a crazy time right basically you're you have a newborn and then you're left to pick up all these crazy pieces so so we need to start changing the conversation with our friends our coworkers, our family being like hey um 
I hear you because I had this as well or like I hear what you're saying and I like totally understand that like um, that could affect you in so many different ways like check out these people I mean us and so many other people Mm -hmm. are amazing solutions women's health PTs are great solutions but there's so many women like if you look at the stats of these things it's so scary right so people normalize peeing yourself during pregnancy right so mm-hmm. like they just put a little in their underwear and they're like and it and not, peeing yourself means like drops a couple drops even um during pregnancy and they're like aha that's like because i'm pregnant a baby's like sitting on my bladder and it's like no actually that's a like yellow flag your body is telling you yo yellow flag no pun intended you, you cannot <laughs> yeah Yes, unless you're hydrated. <laughs> and your body cannot like handle this load. But then like what does that look like for you later in life, right? So if you have urinary incontinence during pregnancy, those women, they doubled their risk 15 years later for incontinence. So that's like me as a 45-year-old woman being like, oh, I'm like taking my kid to soccer practice and then I'm going to pee myself when I get in and out of the car. You know, like we're not even thinking about the implications because we're so in the moment of mothering and doing these things that we're not thinking about the implications down the road. Um, This stat just like freaked me out, but 76% of women that had urinary incontinence, so stress incontinence, six or three months postpartum, experienced it 12 years later. 76%. 76% 76%. 76% still were carrying that burden with them 12 so, years later. And they're thinking that it's like normal to have that after having kids because that's their experience, right? Right. And I think they're like, I'm only three months postpartum. Of course, yeah. my body mm-hmm. is haywire right now. Yeah. So is it is the fact that it is never okay for you to be peeing yourself? Or I didn't mean okay, but it's never like normal for you to be peeing yourself. So it's common, right? Right. So, I mean, look at that stat. That's 35% during pregnancy. Um, but it is it isn't normal at okay. all. And I feel like that's like your body telling you something. And instead of like padding up and playing on, maybe like going back and figuring out what the root cause of it, because it's not always the pelvic floor. The pelvic floor takes a lot of the blame for a lot of things, but it could be a host of other things that are creating some of the incontinence in your system. Um, But I mean, same thing, like 20% of women that have back pain during pregnancy will, and I've seen these patients in the clinic, like I can like picture a few of them in my head when I bring this stat up, but they'll avoid future pregnancies due to the fear of having that low back pain. Like they do not want to experience that again. C-section women... Six to 18% of those people will have chronic pain from their scar because nobody's taught them how to mobilize their scar, how to recover correctly from a C-section. You have a C-section, which is a major surgery. They're not given like the proper instructions on how to actually recover. Like, and there's a lot of instructions that go along with that. This like is not just like a physical thing, right? We're talking about, I can, the more that I'm in practice, the more that I like cannot stress enough there's like a physical and emotional component that goes to everything like everything so diastasis recti is a quote-unquote painless problem you know like there's not pain associated with it your abs are splitting but what the most common problem is is that women still look like they're pregnant but what does that mean to you? So does that mean like that you have like body image insecurities after baby? Does that mean that you feel less sexy? Does that mean that you want to get 
in the sack less with your husband because you have these issues. These are big problems. And we're just like kind of putting a Band-Aid on it, saying that they're normal. And um, they're not normal, but they definitely are common. So instead of putting the Band-Aid on, let's try to offer people some solutions. And what we know is that pain, incontinence, prolapse, they are really related to postpartum depression. And that's a huge why for Crystal and I with Expecting and Empowered. She sees it in her clinic all the time. Um, It's just so hard to feel your best if you have these issues because your body isn't functioning at its highest, right? Like even if you're playing with your kids, or lifting a stroller, doing something that you have to do in everyday life, like you're having a symptom and and you're not going to be living your best life. So I hope that some of this education is kind of sinking in for you guys. You know, it's really for us, we're like, we don't want scare tactics. We just yeah. want to empower women with information so that they can make their best choice. We can't make it for you. But we can just give you all this information and then you can put it into play however you want to. And as you so eloquently put it when you were talking, getting women back in the sack or having sex, it's not something a lot of businesses talk about it, talk about. We are willing to go there because it is an important part of women's lives. Most of us want to have a sexual relationship with our partners again after baby. Can you talk us through some of the physical issues that women have that interfere with their sex life and kind of what they could do about them? Yeah. So I think this topic is so interesting because as a new mom, like, I enjoy having sex. I like having sex with my husband. And sometimes at the end of the day, you're tired and you don't even want to have sex. So I can't even imagine adding something else to make Mm, it more complex to the plate, having pain with intercourse, right? Like sex should be an enjoyable experience. So for women that didn't have pain before baby, the goal would be to not have pain after baby as well. But the reality is that 33% of women are still having pain three months after a baby. And then 17% of people are still having pain with intercourse six months after delivery. So the three reasons that this would happen that are the most common after a baby is if we're a breastfeeding or pumping mom, one of them being that our estrogen levels are low. So um, from making milk, also the stress of motherhood, can all contribute to vaginal dryness. So a couple of things that would help vaginal dryness, if that's your issue And this, to women feels like it's like the desert down there. It feels like penetration hurts. It also feels like thrusting hurts. Like, I mean, they feel the skin-to-skin contact and pulling, and that is painful to them. So if that sounds like you, I like slippery stuff. There's tons of other great brands, um, but you can use a lubricant. You can also... Um, intensify other parts of the experience. When I worked in the spinal cord injury hospital, I'll never forget. But basically what we were doing is teaching people how to like use foreplay to get aroused. I mean, even so much to get aroused that um, like you could have like kind of sustainable sex and even ejaculation if they had foreplay. So in postpartum women, what this looks like is, you know, like 
like getting back to the basics, spending a little bit more time, like maybe nurturing the relationship before you jump into bed, maybe like talking more um, during the experience, telling your husband, like, I don't know, my husband always says this about me, but like every time I had a kid, my like wants and desires like have changed. So like communicating that with your husband maybe not leaving sex to the very end of the day till you're like physically emotionally drained my friend uh, her priest was like putting on this like amazing talk and it was all about sex and he's like it really does not take that much time just put on an episode of Dora the Explorer and go Diego go (laughs) so like during the day you know like like taking a chunk out of the day that maybe you think you should be putting away the dishes or doing other things and like actually using that as intentional time if you're seeing that loss in vaginal moisture. The other two things are things that PTs can help with, that actually rehabbing and prehabbing your pelvic floor can help with, but that scar tissue pain after an episiotomy or tearing. So when a tissue tears, there is um, like a residual buildup of the tissue. The tissue, what you see on the surface is usually only 10% of the scar. So that scar goes down in deep and it can like attach to other things. So it can attach to our fascial tissue, which is just connective tissue that surrounds all of our organs and things, but that creates pulling, right? So it creates pulling in the body. If we never release that tissue, that can create a great deal of pain when a penis hits it and keeps hitting it and hits Mm -hmm. it again. So there's things that even like on Expecting and Empowered, we try to share a ton of DIY stuff. So like say you don't want to go into a PT, like we've shown on there, like, okay, how would I manually try to get this going myself? A PT is always going to be the best option for that because they like know the pelvic floor inside out and they can like go in there and manually release it for you. Um, The other thing would be tight pelvic floor muscles, right? So maybe you had like a very traumatic labor and delivery. Maybe it wasn't traumatic. Maybe it was just normal because holy cow, I literally just saw a picture the other day of like the pelvic floor being stretched out with a baby's head coming out of it. And I was like, oh, that that looks very traumatic to me. (laughs) I've never experienced that. But your pelvic floor could tighten after um, having labor and that then we need to figure out how to relax it. And sometimes, too, learning how to diaphragmatic breathe, learning how to relax our pelvic floor. Some people that have urinary stress incontinence are actually have too tight of a pelvic floor. So learning how to release it, like literally work this area. And then knowing when there's like a demand on it. So when I go to pick up a toddler, is my pelvic floor contracted? Is it relaxed? It should be like just slightly contracted. If I go to pick up like a ton of groceries or some salt pellets, I mean, then that thing should be fully on, but making our body as efficient as possible. So releasing the tight pelvic floor and then learning how to make your body automated. Like you don't want to have to think about this forever. So automating the system. Yeah. So painful sex could be a lot of things. So it could be the organ prolapse that we talked about at the beginning. It could be just from vaginal dryness. It could be from that scar pain or that scar tissue built up and then also having a tight pelvic floor. And I'm going to get personal here. So I also had a small tear. Mm -hmm. And while working with the PT, she showed me exactly what to do in order to kind of help relieve that so that actual penetration with intercourse didn't hurt as much. Mm -hmm. And we use that as foreplay. I was like, hey, Colin, can you help me out with this one? Like, (laughs) I have to do this anyway. This is a great way that we can just kind of get started here. So kind of using that foreplay that you brought up 
with the slippery stuff, with doing my PT all at once. And we have both gotten really personal here. So we're going to turn it back to you, Crystal. Let's get personal in your life. You've brought up so many good stats. But one thing that Amy and I both have not experienced, and I know you've had three of, is a C-section. So we had so many questions come in, Crystal, just on C-sections, how to recover from them, just really everything that goes along with that surgery. And as a mom of three, can you talk us through how you process this with each of your birth experiences? Yes. So I was never a gal that was like, I dreamed about my wedding day. I've always like dreamed about being a mother. So when I was going through these women's health courses, it was very empowering because there there would be video shown of like home births or water births or like all these natural births. So I was like, oh, yep, sign me up. That is what I'm doing. <laughs> I like want to do it unmedicated. I like at least I'm a person that like wants to say that they did stuff at least once. Like I've ran the Boston Marathon. I probably wouldn't sign myself up. I might do it one more time, but I like probably, <laughs> like don't want to do that. I've bungee jumped. I literally hate heights, so I don't know why I would bungee jump, but I wanted to say like, hey, I like did this unmedicated birth thing. That was like so important to me. And it was always like on the top of my list going into it. So then at my 36 week appointment with my first, I was very surprised when the doctor was like, okay, so your baby's head is up, meaning your baby is breech. And literally, I just burst into tears. Like I was like, dude, this guy has got to be losing it, my physician, because I was his last appointment on a Friday afternoon. And to me, that was like literally the worst thing. I mean, there are worse things, but that like it was horrible to hear that because what that meant to me was like I was not going to have it my way you know like unless things change so I tried everything you know I tried the spinning babies I did the cephalic inversion which is not that painful so don't get scared if you ha- <laughs> like have to have that um people make it sound like it's horrific but basically I mean she's still stubborn like this she was not turning like in the cephalic inversion you would see it her like pushing her head back like yo girl I am staying here and I am happy right here so c-section it was so I was like okay uh, how do I like prepare myself for this because the morning of I literally started crying and I was like this baby like is not ready to come out my body knows like when things are gonna be okay and this is not okay and my husband's like we're here dude we're doing <laughs> it's this. gonna happen like, it's i was like maybe we could schedule it for a week and he's like what does that do for you um so that being said like see i think i'm like completely okay with these three c-sections and i know like there's so many moms that know they aren't and like I just I'm a person that's like dude I had one and then like move on and get over it but obviously not because I'm just (laughs) sitting here at this mic crying um but with the second and the third I mean it did get easier the second I was prepping a v-back so with the second I feel like I personally was like bullied into having a c-section and like I mean that like in a kind way like you know, physicians have to give you all the risks, but my husband who's sitting next to me, here's the risks as well. And he's like, okay, so you want to have this vaginal birth? Like what happens if our baby does have like, like brain trauma or dies because you want to do this? And it's like, Mm, how do you literally like say, 
yeah, I still want to go through with this. Like, because mm-hmm. I knew I was going to be okay, like, with the second. Like, I knew that she would, well, we didn't know it was a she at the time, but like, <laughs> that she would come when she wanted to. And, and like, you know, I'm not the only one making a decision, so I couldn't, like, go forward the way that I wanted to. Yeah, and just to, like, give context, Crystal was 41 weeks, so she was a week past due. So that's when the physician was very nervous about a VBAC because they felt like the placenta um, is kind of tuckered out at that point and not ready for so much, um, you know, the induction and the vaginal birth and everything like that. And the VBAC is when you've had a C-section for one delivery and then vaginal birth the next. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, some physicians will try to do a VBAC after two even. Okay. Okay. But that's so rare. Yeah. So, so then that shows you too, like what, what you know, like providers are willing to do as well. And just with everything with pregnancy and delivery and this postpartum experience, it's not just science. It's not just a surgery. Like there's so much emotional toll that can go on it, as we're seeing right here. So even from somebody who knows so much about everything, Crystal, like you opening up about this. Thank you for yeah, doing I li- that. I literally was like. Because I feel like I'm fine with this. So I was like, when I wrote all this stuff out, I was like, I'm totally going to play it cool and then make other people feel bad because I like don't have emotional like baggage with this. But obviously, like, look, like when and one thing that I um, was reading was, you know, like women are poo pooed on this topic. Like literally they like this could be like if you had a vaginal birth and it was traumatic or if you have pain with intercourse Mm -hmm. and that's like very like tugging at your heart like people are literally poo-pooed like their feelings like you have to take care of these kids and so everything's kind of swept to the side and under the rug and people like even when you're talking to your friends sometimes they're like hey that's like normal after having kids like so people like are not being heard during this time period right and the response is well crystal you got healthy babies so mm-hmm. that's the main goal and it's like yes of course we're so well, that's my midsection now <laughs> we're so thankful that she has healthy babies but it is okay if a mom is having a tough time working through her birth experience and healthy moms are just as important as healthy babies and that's what we really want to get across with this um, part of the conversation And a lot of women wrote in and they really wanted you to cover this topic because not only have you had three C-sections, but you also have the knowledge training expertise in this area. And so when I talk about this, I'm like, it just feels like I wish that my sister hadn't had to go through this experience, but I firsthand get to see the amount of lives that you've been able to impact by giving women the information that they need about C-sections. So if you could, could you go through for our listeners what is important to consider post-C-section? C-sections are like any other surgery. I mean, you're really trying to minimize the amount of inflammation because inflammation allows us, I mean, a certain level of inflammation allows us to heal correctly. But most often than that, what's happening during this period is there's too much inflammation in the system, which is slowing down our recovery. And then also builds up more scar tissue, which creates more pain on the C-section scar, which can, I mean, there's like a host of different things. I sound like I'm like literally like have this like poor disposition on life. But like with the C-section scar, that can actually go down 
and attached to other organs. So it can create problems with fertility and like second, third, subsequent kids. So to minimize inflammation, what you're looking to do is you're looking to like create less tugging or pulling on the scar at the time of the C-section. So that looks like log rolling in and out of bed. That looks like asking for help. Again, I'll say this again because literally we are the worst people sometimes at asking for help. Like, hey, can you carry this car seat for me? I'm technically not supposed to be carrying this. Or can you lift this baby for me? I'm not supposed to be lifting this baby. Um, You know, like asking for help. Like I will always remember my mother-in-law's like, can I give you a hand to get out of bed? And my husband's like, no, she's fine. And I'm like, hell no, I'm not. Like literally if you have a hand, I don't have to use my abdominal muscles. I can use my bicep to pull me up, you know? So like asking for help in simple, easy ways, but log rolling, like going back to the basics, like learning how to breathe, they call it a pumping system, right? So like when we use our muscles, we flush new cells into the area and then like flush out some of the bad cells that create inflammation. So we're, we're flushing in good cells to help expedite recovery. So then doing some light pelvic floor contractions, like turning your pelvic floor on, off, on, off. Even people think I'm crazy, but like even just the slightest contraction of your abdominal wall right after a C-section, a couple weeks after, again, you're flushing stuff in and out of the system, not just laying in bed. Cause I can tell you I've been through three. It is a it's painful. So not just like laying there in bed, um, actually getting movement. So there's so many studies in any types of surgery, but C-sections as well, like getting up and starting to move, especially if you're sitting or laying down all the time, you're in a flex position, which then pulls the scar in more. Um, and it's not just all about the scar, but it's about like healing. Like how do we heal everything correctly? Like our pelvic floor, the everything. So getting up, um, in the hospital, I used like that bassinet that they put the baby in and I would stand erect. So I would push through my hands to like push through that bassinet and get myself tall. Even that would be just an exercise in the hospital that I would do often um, to take pressure off of that scar. And then so controlling the inflammation also is sometimes like listening to your body. So for me, I do not, I'm not a big pain med person. I do not like that. And then, so by the third one, I had figured out like how much is like the first baby I took no pain meds. The second baby, you know, like I did like, like listen to the prescriptions, but I also left the hospital within like 28 hours, which is, I'm like, I can do this at home. I got this thing, you know, like, so again, that goes back to like what Abby and I were talking about earlier, like really, truly listening to your body. Like, yeah, I was like ready to go home. Cause I was like sick of being at the hospital, but was that probably an appropriate time to leave? Like, no. probably not. <laughs> probably not. The, the third one I was in there, like the full max time. I was like, how long can I stay here? Um, cause I knew I had two demanding toddlers at home. So so creating creating a support system if you know that you have a c-section you know kind of setting up a place for yourself at home um and then and then voicing like hey i like need to take just take a brief walk and it could be three minutes to five minutes but like can you can somebody watch the baby so i i would walk around my neighborhood with an empty stroller like so no baby in it and i would like push through it and i'm my neighbors were probably like hey are you missing something (laughs) i just lost your mind (laughs) i mean i lost my mind a long time ago so many women just don't know about this crystal one of my friends she was taking out her garbage i think she was like four days after she got home from the hospital so she had a week old she had a c-section and she tore open all of her stitches and i know you've said this before that you can only heal from a c-section 
one time. And in your highlights on Expecting and Empowered on the Instagram account, it's so interesting to see these. Even as somebody who doesn't have a C-section, hasn't had a C-section, maybe this pregnancy will end in one. Um, So it's one of those things that I'm always preparing my mind for. But bring it to your sisters, bring it to your friends, bring it to people who don't have this information because it's not as readily available in the world as, you know, as we think. Can we go into a little bit more, though, about the recovery mentally from this? Like, I know it's an emotional topic, but are there any other resources you could bring up for women who are still dealing with the mental component of a C-section? So the mental component is huge as well, too. I mean, it can show up in different facets, like even your connection with your baby, like it can show up. I was um, listening to this. Um, one lecture that Tammy Lynn Kent gave, which is another PT, she talks a lot about healing your birth field. So in this story, she was telling about how the grandma was like so excited to be a grandma. And then all of a sudden her daughter had a baby and she had like no connection to this baby. She could not figure it out because she had been so excited and like wanted to love this baby more than anything. And she like literally, cause basically I think the mom, if I'm recalling the story correctly, the mom had a C-section with the daughter or a very traumatic birth, one of the two. And then when her daughter got to have like what I would think of, like when I look at Amy, like, my like birthing dreams you know like she had so much like resentment which was misplaced you know like she didn't realize that that was what was happening so then working through things so healing the birth field just goes back and basically like pulls up some of these different emotions a lot of times we like sequester or like downplay these emotions but they're very much real apparently i like need to go to therapy or something for the, you know like, we all do I say we that, all do I say, that, I say that as a joke but like you know like actually talking about it i guess helps so much but there's other things um there that book called wild feminine she talks about so many different stories in there and different tactics about how you can help heal your birth field and again that's any kind of birth but there's so many different emotions that and it, it's a busy time of life so they just kind of get shut down or put to the wayside speaking of that i know something that really resonated with our followers on Expecting and Empowered is when you opened up and you said after Camden was born, your third child, you did go to a therapist. You know, you were just having some hard times. Can you talk about that experience and how it has helped you? Yeah, and I think this is hilarious because that literally happened last year during Mental Health Week. And just like in true Amy and Crystal fashion, I had zero idea that it was Mental Health Week. (laughs) (laughs) But I was just throwing out there, like, you know, sometimes, like, I would feel these feelings, like, you know, sometimes with my kids, like, I would rather be doing other things. I would rather be, like, doing certain things. I didn't feel like a great mom sometimes. And I was like, hey, if anybody else feels like this, I just want them to know that they're not alone. Like, and I don't think that I'm a terrible mom. I know I'm a really great mom, but like, I mean, there's so much judgment that we as women put on our own self. Right. So, and then also societal judgment. So I was just thinking like, man, if anybody feels like crap like this, I would like loved to, for them to know that they are not alone. So for me, what that looked like is this, 
the struggle that Molly Mildwood has talked about was struggle with time, right? And so, like, as a mom, there's just not enough hours in the day. I'm not even kidding. Last Monday, I was even running into Target, like, literally running. Because <laughs> I had to get back because my nanny yeah. had to be somewhere. So, like, there's, like, this perpetual struggle with time, which sometimes can show up as, a like, emotion, anxiety. Um, so, for me, going to a therapist, I only went three times, which I literally should be on a, her, like, monthly appointment plan because it was so beneficial. But. Yeah. It helped me so much to like just categorize things. So, um, like my first session, she, you know, she's just like taking her patient intake and I'm going through all my gripes and what was bothering me. And, you know, she comes out and she's telling me very tangible things. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding, freaking kidding me. Like, this is like crazy. But it, it, when you really like sit down and reflect, like, okay, how can I not feel like this? How can I like dig myself out of this hole? She's like, have you ever heard of this thing called diaphragmatic breath? And I was like, you gotta. <laughs> I'm going to flip my lid right now. <laughs> literally, diaphragmatic breath, I teach this to patients, like, daily. I literally talk about this on Expecting and Empowered. It's in the program. Like, So, I mean, doing something and, like, knowing something, again, goes back to, like, what we were talking about before. But, like, I now use um, that breathing app on my watch almost nightly. Like, when it dings, I don't ignore it. I, like, use the breathing app. I will use it when Amy is asking me to do something else and she irritates me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But not. I'll, I'll, I'll use it when my husband asks me to do stuff. I'll use it when my kids are flipping their lids. And so I actually like implement the things that, that should be implemented. Another thing that she talked about was she's like, okay, so you've like literally, she's like, first of all, kudos to you because you have all these accolades and you do all these amazing things. And she's like, I can tell when you talk, like you care for other people, but she's like, what about you? Like, Mm -hmm. what do you do for Crystal? Like, she's like, it sounds like you exercise, but like, what else do you do? Do you like meet girlfriends out for coffee? I was like, no, I don't drink coffee. (laughs) (laughs) And then she's like, do you like, what do you do? And I'm like, you know what? During this like busy season where I've had three kids stacked like on top of each other, literally, Mm -hmm. they were wrestling last night and I was like, just trying to pull them off of each other. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God. Um, But so when you stack kids, you like forget you though. Like what does Crystal like to do? Crystal like likes to hike. Crystal likes to like, you know, like go do things like with friends, you know, like I've forgotten, like even taking the time on like, think I'm like so busy that I can't like, like Voxer a friend or like Marco Mm -hmm. Polo a friend, which helps so much. So like as moms, just taking that time to be you again. Um, The other thing that she told me too was like putting stuff in categories, right? So like when you're thinking about yourself, you know, like we can only control our own actions or emotions. So having other people have implications on our emotions too, it's like, you know what, that's Abby's stuff. Or this is like my husband's stuff. Like don't let him project his stuff on you. Going back to your center, when I used to run, I used to have this mantra like, that B doesn't have S on me. Like (laughs) I literally would say that over and over in my head because I'm like, I'm literally going to like, outrun this girl like I would say that in my head but now as a mom I have mantras like okay I'm a kind person I'm a nice person like I'm raising good humans like I'm being the best mom that I know how to be and like really truly believing some of that stuff because I think sometimes you know we could I mean most of the time we're not even saying it right so just saying it and Mm -hmm. then actually believing it Mm -hmm. and yeah Crystal it's the believing part that can be so difficult for so many women 
But once we believe these things, so much more of our life can fall into place. And the Expecting and Empowered team wants to extend a special offer. So right now, through the pandemic, you can use code TAKECARE, T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E at checkout. We'll include it in the notes as well for 20% off any of the programs that we talked about today. So thank you, Crystal. Thank you so much. As we knew, you brought so much wisdom and so much character to our audience today. And for those who are listening, who needs to hear this message? Like, I know it's more difficult now than ever before to listen to podcasts, but maybe you have a family member who recently had a baby and is struggling with some of these conditions. Maybe you have a friend who has brought up questions about what we talked about today and wants to get it from a reputable source. Share it with them or share it on social media and take herself podcast as well as expecting and empowered.